Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM. all about living the solutions. Today I have a very good friend on and a colleague, Dr. Felicia Dawson. Um, she's a board-certified um, OBG obstetrician-gynecologist and certified in integrative medicine. Um, she has the ability and has had the ability as a practicing physician to practice both the art and science of healing by addressing the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. And that's one of the things I love about her and her practice it's not just one size fits all. It's about learning about the person and what makes them tick. And I love the tagline, and she encourages women to consider how their biography may be affecting their biology, which is, I think, something that all of us really need to be conscious of. She is a clinical professor at um, Emory School of Medicine, and she's also a consultant for the cannabis, medical cannabis, I guess, the, the movement, if lack of a better way to put it. I think we've learned or talked a lot about medical marijuana and the movement towards legalizing it and how that's affecting the opioid epidemic. And I really want my my listeners to understand what's out there so they can make a conscious decision. And I think what Dr. Dawson has done by stepping away from her practice to become a full-time consultant shows the power of this of this treatment plan, of this movement, and I wanted her to come and speak about it. So, Felicia, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate having you on the show today. Thank you, Elena. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, you know, we've known each other for quite a while, and, you know, I, we are both solo practicing doctors, and I have to tell you I was heartbroken when you left your practice because you were the person that I wanted to go to and have gone to and have sent patients to. And I just want to just... Tell me a little bit about that choice, because it was a, a major decision for having a practice for many years to give it up, to move to something different. What made you make that move? Well, I, I literally have been kind of thinking about it for a couple of years, um, right around the same time that I started hearing about medical cannabis, probably around 2013 or so. The business of medicine can be quite challenging, as you well know, and you know, with the increasing overhead and liability insurance, government regulations, electronic medical records, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> it was just really wearing on me, you know, sleepless nights, really beginning to affect my own health, uh, worrying about all of that. Because, you know, I absolutely love teaching my patients how to be healthier. Nothing gives me more joy. Um, but the business side of medicine was really beginning to um, weigh on me very heavily. So around the same time that I was wanting to distance myself from that aspect of medicine, I was getting very excited as I started learning about the medicinal properties of, of cannabis because, you know, in medical school, we don't learn anything positive about cannabis. We're taught that it's a drug just like LSD, heroin, cocaine. And so for me to learn after 20-plus years, well, really 30-plus years of um, practicing medicine, to learn that it has medicinal properties just blew me away. And then to look at how it became illegal and prohibited and the reasons behind that, you know, being all about politics and racism and mm -hmm. economics, that it just, I was just fascinated by this, this, this topic. And, and I see what good it can do after so many decades of harm 
you know, the war, war on drugs has done. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I turned away from the business of medicine and, and turned to medical cannabis, you know, just wanted to spend my time educating people, advocating for the plants, and, and consulting with patients who, you know, physicians may not know much about cannabis or who may not want to deal with cannabis. So that's, that's kind of how it happened. That sounds like it was very organic. And I think what really strikes me is that you're a physician. It's not like you're not a medical, you don't, you know, someone who doesn't really understand the physiology, the pathophysiology, how the biology of this works. You're not trying to make a buck. You're trying to actually educate patients and empower them. And I really give you just props for that because we need more of that in our healthcare system. I think we've been hijacked as physicians where everybody is making us a a, a cost center, a, a means to make money off of us, on our backs, and the patients are being victimized just as much as the doctors are. And in this society, and I know that you're consulting with all sorts of folks, but I've just seen an explosion of people with pain syndromes and autoimmune problems, and don't leave out the people who are taking the opioids and not getting any relief, but unfortunately they become addicted to it. I mean, are you seeing a a cross-section? I know that your specialty is OBGYN, but are you seeing a cross-section of people with other medical problems that you consult for, or is it just women's issues or, you know, GYN issues? Well, all, all kinds of issues, you know, anxiety, depression, autoimmune, um, neurodegenerative stuff like Alzheimer's. Yeah, it, 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 many, it, that's just one of the amazing things about this plant. It has so many mechanisms of action. It works on so many different receptors in the body. That's why... It can treat so many things because it has, I've never, I mean, I've dealt with botanicals before, but I've never seen a plant have so many applications, literally, so many. That's pretty incredible. And, you know, we talk about, well, I guess most people don't know that you're talking about the whole plant or you're talking about the seed. What's the difference between people who are smoking it versus people who are having the gummies or doing the hemp or the CBD oil? I mean, it gets a little confusing, I think, because there's so many different versions of it. Which one is the one that makes you high and which one is the one that doesn't? Well, cannabis and hemp are cousins. They're in the same family. Hemp is does, does not cause euphoria or make you feel high because it has less than 0.3 of THC. Um, cannabis it historically has had 2 to 4 of THC, but now with breeding, it can have 10 to 30% of THC. Cannabis has about 140 cannabinoids in it. THC and CBD are two of the most famous cannabinoids, which are biologically active molecules. Hemp has less than 10 cannabinoids. So cannabis definitely has a much wider range of healing properties. You can use a much smaller dose to get the same effect than you can from CBD derived from Mm -hmm. hemp. So that's the major difference. And, and typically, you've had two um, sources of uh, two types of cannabis. One is sativa, uh, and one is cannabis sativa. So, the, and sativa tends to be uplifting, energizing, versus indica is very sedating. So, if people have things like um, ADHD or something, let's say, would the the one that's sedating be something you think that would be helpful for those folks instead of uh, taking the upper, <laughs> you know, the the methamphetamine, oh, basically? Right. Yeah, that or just doing CBD alone. I mean, just imagine the the possibilities of getting off of all of these prescription meds. And, you know, we both know as physicians, 
you might give a patient a medication and it doesn't work the same way as it does with another patient or they can't take it because it interacts with another medication that they're on. There's so many limits to what you can do when you're taking or using a prescription drug. I mean, is this the same thing that you need to worry about with the, the, with the cannabinoids? Is, are they less reactive with other medications? Are, I know they have a safer profile. No one's ever OD'd on cannabis, but what's your take on having that added in with someone who's on a medication? Well, well, that's, that's correct. Um, no one's ever died from a cannabis overdose because the receptors that cannabis interacts with are not in the um, um, centers in your brain stem that you know, control breathing and your heart rate. So mm -hmm. unlike opioids, which can stop you from breathing, cannabis cannot do that. Um, the other thing is that, yes, there is a theoretical drug-herb interaction because cannabis and most pharmaceuticals are broken down in the liver. So there is a theoretical uh, chance of drug-herb interactions. However, with CBD in particular, that is not uh, something that you come across very often because you have to get really high, high doses to start to see that interaction. Typically, you can usually take up to 1,500 milligrams of CBD without any uh, side effect. But we are cautioned that when you have people on, see, what do you call it, blood um, seizure medications, mm -hmm. um, some antiviral HIV meds, some antibiotics, some antifungals, Theoretically, there are a lot of medications that can interfere with um, the metabolism of THC or CBD. So, you know, we are cautioned. So in particular, blood thinners, seizure medicines, those are the two main ones that you may start to see something. But um, if you're following the blood test with the um, blood thinners, mm -hmm. you can, usually that's the only thing that goes up, but it doesn't clinically lead to bleeding, not typically. Okay. But with, with people on seizure medications, you have to be careful because they can sometimes become more um, drowsy with them. And, and that just reminded me of one particular medication that you are not supposed to use cannabis with, and those are the tricyclic uh, antidepressants because that can cause a um, irreversible sinus tachycardia. So tricyclic antidepressants and cannabis would be a no-no. Okay. You would want to wean, wean yourself off of that first before you start cannabis. Gotcha. But everything else, you can just you know monitor the the blood levels and the patient's symptoms. Well, on that note, let's take our first break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. From treatment of sinusitis to balloon dilation to minimally invasive office procedures to correct snoring. Peachtree ENT Center offers state-of-the-art care. We also specialize in price transparency. You'll know the cost of our ENT services before they're rendered, whether you have a high deductible plan or no insurance at all. Make an appointment today to find out why Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. Call 404-591-9100 or visit us at peachtreeentcenter.com. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking with Dr. Felicia Dawson. She's a clinical instructor of, GY, of gynecology and obstetrics, sorry, obstetrics at the Emory University School of Medicine, an adjunct clinical professor at, of OBGYN at the Morehouse School of Medicine. Um, she is a consultant, 
a functional medicine specialist, and somebody who's really on the forefront of education and implementation of a new a new way of seeing a new way of treating patients, and that's going back to the basics. And I love the 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 concept of functional medicine. You know, people talk about I guess in the past holistic medicine, but this is a whole nother approach. I mean, functional medicine is like a cellular biological approach. And is that, you know, we both went to medical school around the same time. I don't remember learning, except for physiology, really how the body worked in a clinical, from a clinical standpoint. It was always make the diagnosis, do your differential, and then you treat either surgically or you give them a medication. You're talking about treating the problem before it starts, right? I mean, functional medicine is about how you avoid the, the system breaking down. Is that a good way to put it? Yes, and also just trying to identify the etiology of the patient's symptoms. And, you know, you got to look at not only, you know, how are they how are they metabolizing and, and, and breaking down their, your um, uh, food, but, you know, is, is there a muscular structural problem? Is it a spiritual mental problem? You're, mm-hmm. you're trying to look at all the various aspects of a person's life because all of those aspects of their life impact uh, their health. So it's, it's looking, trying to look at multiple angles to try to find um, the etiology of the symptoms and also, you know, look at what are the, they call them the antecedents or risk factors and things like that that the patient may have had and then look at what the, which may have triggered these symptoms and then look at what's mediating or keeping it going because it's sort of like ATMs looking at, um, you know, what may have set this person up for this, what was the triggering event. And then what's keeping it going? You know, um, uh, Dr. Sidney Baker is one of our heroes in functional medicine. He said that, you know, good health primarily comes down to um, making sure you're getting enough of what you need and, and removing those things that are in excess that are damaging you. So it's like we either are getting too much of something, mm-hmm. too much stress, too much sugar, or not getting enough of something else, not enough sleep, not enough good, good exercise, those kind of things. It's all about balance, isn't it? It really, yeah, it really comes down to balance and those, those basic things. And that's another thing that really strikes me about the cannabinoid uh, movement and also the cannabis plant itself. It's actually stimulating receptors that already exist in the body, which I thought was, I didn't even know that we had an endocannabinoid system. And it's pretty right. dramatic, isn't it? It's everywhere in the system, isn't it? Pretty much. <laughs> it's pretty much. It is the largest receptor system in the body. It, it helps to control your nervous system, which we, you know, in conventional medicine, we think that that's the, the end-all, be-all in uh, conventional medicine, but the endocannabinoid system, um, which is what the cannabis plant interacts with, it actually controls your nervous system. Yeah, so mind and body are actually connected more than we even had an, an inkling of. I mean, I know that when people have uh, stress, you know, their effects of GI tract, for example, or, you know, their heart rate, but the endocannabinoid system is kind of linked, interlinked with all of that. So if those receptors are, I guess, not stimulated or overstimulated, then you end up having these imbalances. And there's no medication, honestly, that's going to fix that, is there? I mean, standard. No, but are we talking about cannabinoid receptors? No, we... I'm talking about cannabinoid receptors. And so if they're out of balance or if they're not in, if something's off with them, I don't think you can use a, a standard medication to fix that. It's either masking something or... It's it's not really getting to the root cause of the problem, is it? No, but you can. But but cannabis in and of itself can actually adjust your um, receptor density throughout mm-hmm. the body. So if you have a person who's like really 
taking in a lot of cannabis, like really a heavy user, mm-hmm. the body automatically down-regulates those receptors, and they find that they are having to use more and greater and greater amounts to get the same effect because that's the body's wisdom. Right. Um, that's the body's wisdom. And on the other hand, there's this art of microdosing cannabis using small amounts, which can help your receptors become more populated through the body. So it's a it's an amazing thing. So you really have to know what you're doing then. <laughs> I mean, someone who's treating someone with cannabis, just giving them the same dose, everybody the same dose, or treating everybody the same way, it's really doing a disservice. You really need to go to somebody who knows what they're doing. Yes, that would probably be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, I mean, even with the, even with the individuals, it's still um, some of it, you know, trial and error. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even with the individual, because they're. Um, I was just hearing a, a professor the other day saying that, that this cannabis plant has just like a 2,000-fold range in dosing. Like one person only needs one or two milligrams, and you have other people at the other end of the, of the spectrum needing 2,000 milligrams. So it's like it's a really wide range of um, dosing mm-hmm. that can happen. It, it, can, it, it can sometimes take months sometimes to get the person, like, for example, someone who got seizures, it can take months to find the right dosage. And then after a while, the, the dose may change because it, it, it becomes ineffective and you have to, you know, tweak it some more. So right. there's some, definitely some patience that's needed um, with certain conditions. Now, because uh, Georgia is still working on legalizing, uh, I guess, CBD oil and, and the THC component to the CBD, because CBD is, is uh, legal here now, is it not? Uh, it, it, technically, because hemp is in the farm bill that was passed, technically, it's legal on one level, but hemp is still in class one of of the, the um, drug scheduling. Um, so it's it's a it's a gray area. I mean, you have a plethora of people selling CBD, mm-hmm. but then you have, you have instances around the country where people's CBD products are being confiscated from their store shelves. So mm-hmm. our our government is very um, schizophrenic right now about CBD. Uh, And so that's why um, the outgoing FDA commissioner, uh, I forget his name, Scott Goatlib or something like that, Mm -hmm. he just just said that he foresees that if the government leaves it up to the FDA, it may take several years before they get their laws together regarding CBD. And that he encourages Congress to take action to deschedule um, CBD out of of Schedule 1, you know, take it out of Schedule 1 so that it will alleviate the confusion. So there, there is confusion on the federal level with even CBD. Well, I mean, the fact that it has no, it doesn't make you high, doesn't change your mental status at all, you know, how you feel, you know, in terms of being high. It does not cause you to be euphoric. Um, and, and a lot of times we will describe it as non-psychoactive. Right. Um, however, the reality is that it does um, treat anxiety. It does treat depression so i mean and it it has helped people with ptsd so it's in its exact definition it, it does have some psychoactivity but it's not it doesn't cause you to be higher euphoric but it does interact with your um mental status well, to treat those things well that's good to know and just think of all these people who are on these tricyclics and all these other medications you know i've seen a lot of patients come through and younger and younger ones on all these antidepressants and they don't seem better somehow I mean, I don't even, is there any kind of, in, I don't know if you can answer this question, 
But is there a pushback from the pharmaceutical industry against this? Because that is actually a viable and valid alternative that would get a lot of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, literally, off of that medication. Is there any kind of pushback because of that? Of course there is. That's you pulling out my little soapbox. I didn't want to have to stand. But, um, you know, cannabis was brought to America in a big way by an Irish physician named William, Dr. William O'Shaughnessy. Dr. O'Shaughnessy was observing in India, Indian and Muslim doctors back in the mid-1800s. He brought, they were, and, and they were treating a multitude of ailments in India, including seizures and migraines. And at that time, American physicians did not have a good treatment for those two ailments. He brought it over to America, did studies and experiments here. American physicians started doing experiments and studying it as well, giving it to their patients and recording their observations, giving it to their fellow physicians and recording their observations. So physicians were trying it on each other mm-hmm. and record their observations, as, as a matter of fact. And so we, we, physicians were doing studies and researching from those mid-1800s all the way up until the ni- 1970, really. And pharmaceutical companies actually started creating medications that contain cannabis. Uh, when cannabis became prohibited uh, in the 1930s, physicians were writing on average 3 million prescriptions for cannabis-containing medications. Wow. Um, I came across an article not that long ago about Eli Lilly, who lost their cannabis connection to India because they were importing cannabis from India because that's where the plant originated. And during World War One, Navy shipping lanes got shut down and their source of cannabis dried up. So <laughs> Eli Lilly bought a 150-acre-plus farm in Indiana and grew their own cannabis for the medications. That's, wow. that's how much of an American phenomenon cannabis medicine was, but you have our first drug czar, Harry Anslinger, who was a huge racist, trying to control Mexican immigrants and African Americans, teamed up with Andrew Mellon, who was um, the richest man in the world at that time, and a big investor in DuPont and the rising plastics industry, and Randolph Hearst, who was the Rupert Rupert, uh, Murdoch of the time, big in timber and newspapers, and they all three kind (laughs) of conspired to um, classify and prohibit cannabis and hemp, and they did it with a major propaganda reefer madness um, operation and called cannabis. Let me me stop you there. We've got to take a a break, and I want you to pick that thought up when we come back. You're listening to Medicine on Call. health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month 
and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking to Dr. Felicia Dawson, medical cannabis advocate and educator and a consultant and my friend, actually. Um, before the break, you were telling us about the history, and it sounded kind of unsavory if you want to be true, <laughs> truthful about it. So you, you started yeah. off with something that was medicinal, and it got basically Ill, you know, made illegal for, I can imagine, someone's purposes. How did the melons and all these folks get involved with this? What's their angle? DuPont, I mean, these are drug people, I'm sure, drug companies. Well, they were, I mean, Mellon was a big investor in, in the DuPont uh, uh, industry. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a, I mean, plastics, um, uh, petrol company. Um, and, and Mellon is the one who, he was, um, I think, over the Treasury Department, and he is the one who appointed uh, Anslinger um, to his position. Uh, he he and Anslinger was his um, son-in-law, so uh, that's how they kind of you know got together. But they tricked the American people by calling it marijuana because they were hearing Mexican immigrants um, refer to it as that because they that was something that they were uh, using when they came in, into this country. And you know Anslinger was very much afraid of drugs. This is some incidents that have happened in his, his childhood. Um, and they just really tricked the American people. And it wasn't until they brought to pass the marijuana tax in 1937 in Congress um, that physician um, Dr. Woodard, Bob Woodard, I'm sorry, William, I think William Woodard, but he was anyway, he was a physician slash attorney for the American Medical Association of all <laughs> things, uh, stood up in Congress and begged Congress not to pass this uh, marijuana tax because it would, you know, he felt like eventually it would just really the peer research on this amazing plant. Mm-hmm. But Congress ignored Dr. Woodard and passed the tax anyway, and the prohibition of uh, cannabis basically began in 1937 and pretty much continued until 1969 when the Supreme Court overturned it, said it was unconstitutional. 19, that's 1969. 1970, President Nixon renewed the war on drugs and made cannabis a Schedule One drug to control uh, African Americans and hippies who were against the war. Um, you know, African Americans were starting to assert themselves um, with the civil rights movement, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. that's what the war on drugs got renewed in 1970, and that's when the pharmaceutical industry, getting back to your original question about the pharmaceutical industry, the pharmaceutical industry convinced Congress to only let them do any research on cannabis. And if the physicians or other scientists wanted to do research, the only research they could do was to prove that cannabis was bad. Oh, wow. That was the, only, that the only thing that doctors and scientists could do after 1970 was to do research that showed that cannabis was bad. And, and the, well, in the meantime, the pharmaceutical industry is making drugs. Marinol is the first one that they researched and uh, patented, which, which is synthetic THC. And they've been um, making synthetic drugs based on cannabis 
all along. And they are the ones who have the biggest pushback on the legalization of cannabis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, we, I mean, we all hear about the NRA and how powerful they are, but, you know, the NRA only spent $5 million on lobbying in 2017. The pharmaceutical industry spent $270 million wow. in 2017. They are the most powerful lobby group in this, this in this country, the world. And on average, when a person takes, uses cannabis, if they're on pharmaceuticals, on average, they can come off they can come off up to like five medications, like on average. It's, it's amazing. That is amazing. Imagine how much money they would save, and imagine how much that would affect that particular lobby. I mean, who stands yeah, to that, gain? They, they have, yeah, they have the most to lose. Oh, absolutely. That's you know, it's it's really shocking, in a sense, from an ethical standpoint. If you're in an industry that's supposed to help people, and you actively thwart people from getting help and you make money on the pain and misery of people and their addiction. It's something completely wrong about that. I think one of these pharmaceutical companies had to pay um, one of the states for the opioid epidemic, and now they have to pay them a settlement. And that's like $250 mm-hmm. million. It's like a drop in the bucket. They must make that in a week, you know, in one state. So it's like mm-hmm. there's no consequence. It's just slap on the wrist and keep it going. But, you know, like everything, I think – the answer is us as doctors and patients. Yet, you know, they're going to do their thing. They have the ear of the people in power. But patients and doctors need to take our power back. And if we know, and if we're educated, and we learn there's an alternative like you did, then there's so many opportunities to actually help your patient, not blow them out of the water in terms of their pocketbook, not get them addicted, and actually help them. I mean, knowing this now, I mean, there's no doctor that really, if they're really a physician and practicing Hippocratic Oath should not want to learn about this because it can change your entire treatment paradigm. Imagine you just talked about depression. You talked about anxiety. You talked about PTSD, for God's sake. I see military um, veterans twice a week for disability exams, and 99% of them have PTSD or some traumatic brain injury, and they're on like a shopping bag full of medications, and they just complain about being sleepy all the time, but they're not better. I mean, we need to do better, don't we? We do. We, we, we certainly do. It. You, know, you know, unfortunately, the endocannabinoid system wasn't really discovered until the 1990s. You know, a survey of medical schools around 2013, 2014, only 13% of medical schools even mentioned the endocannabinoid system. So, you know, we are really doing patients and physicians a disservice by not teaching this in medical school. They really need to start teaching this um, because it's, it's just so crucial. I mean, it's, it's the biggest receptor system in, in the body. It's, like, it's just malpractice to me that we're not <laughs> being taught. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with that. I mean, you're not just talking about it, but you I mean, I've spoken with you. You're up on in our capital trying to speak with the legislators. I know that Florida is kind of ahead of the game, but where are we in Georgia? Are we close to becoming, you know, getting our ducks in a row so that patients can get some help? Well, you know, as as, as cannabis uh, states go, a lot of a lot of people don't even count <laughs> low THC CBD as uh, medical marijuana because you know it's it's, it's just a, a very small portion of what's possible. So. What 
what they're working on right now has already passed the Georgia House. The Senate has the bill right now, House Bill 324, if people want to read it, House Bill 324 looks at the growing processing and dispensing of medical cannabis in the state of Georgia. It has to be low THC, no more than 5% THC CBD oil. That is the only thing that is being um, looked at. Each. And if it does pass, the bill states that it cannot be smoked or vaped. And, and let me just pause for a second and say that cannabis can be used in multiple ways. Mm. Typically, a lot of people like, like to smoke it, as in rolling it up in paper and, and lighting it. Um, that is the, that is not the best way to consume it because, for one, when you burn or combust any plant material, you're already generating carcinogenic, cancer-causing um, substances and carbon monoxide. So, and in addition to that, 30% of your product is being burnt up here. So you're losing medicine by lighting it up, vaporizing it, um, you know, either putting the flour into um, a tool that will heat it up and not too much actually gives you a higher blood level of the product and it's not producing anywhere near those harmful ingredients. So taking it in through your lung is one way to take in uh, cannabis or the oil. Um, using it by mouth through your digestive uh, tract in the form of a alcohol tincture or a oil is another form. Or you can use it, you know, the, the tincture can be a, a sublingual thing where it goes into your blood vessels underneath your tongue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can also be used topically, but absorption is not very predictable. Um, using it as a skin thing um, or skin preparation. And lastly, it can be used as a suppository uh, through the rectum or the vagina. So those are multiple delivery systems, systems of the medicine. You don't have to fire it up and smoke it. <laughs> you can <laughs> take it like a regular medicine through your mouth, you know. Okay. Well, I, that's nice so, to know. Yeah. And so getting back to what is the state in Georgia. So right now the, the, the Georgia Senate is considering the bill. Um, there's still a lot of pressure um, from law enforcement and the uh, religious right to kill the bill. There is uh, pressure from advocates who are very concerned about the social equity piece of it. And that's the whole other thing because people may not know this, but blacks and Black and white and brown people all use cannabis at the same rate, but people of color are profiled and arrested and incarcerated at four times the rate as white people. And then even in those states where it is legal now, arrest rates for whites continue to drop while arrest rates for people of color are rising. Hmm. And you say, well, how is that? Well, they claim that you know, either they're trying to, to stamp out the black market or they're using federal law to arrest people with. So, you know, the law enforcement sometimes has a motive to arrest people because they can um, get some federal funds for the number of drug busts. Mm-hmm. Um, previously, they were confiscating people's um, assets and, and using that. I mean, they're 
you know, counties in Georgia who've got brand new police cars based on their number of drug busts. So there's a financial incentive for law enforcement to keep it going. And then we have our whole um, prison industry, private private uh, prison industry where people are profiting off of mass incarceration. So there's a whole piece that deals with this um, cannabis thing that's not just the medicinal part or the legalization part. There's a whole community of people who's, who have been devastated by this war on drugs for decades. Right. And, and our current Georgia bill does not address that at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a 12-person right now um, licensing board, and only two of those people need to be minorities. And to my understanding, the, the population is at least 40% minority, so the bill is woefully lacking in terms of social equity. Wow, it's a whole eye-opening uh, statement that you made. And it's always the same. It comes down to follow the money. It comes down to who stands mm-hmm. to gain. And it's never mm-hmm. about what's best for people. I mean, these same people are against this, but they're all, they let people write opioid prescriptions out the yin-yang. There's nothing going on with these uh, antidepressants that people shoot people 24-7. Every single shooter that I've ever heard about has been on some sort of antipsychotic or antidepressant medication. Nobody ever talks about that. So I think we need to take a step back. Honestly, you just put out a, a, just a ton of information in that one, you know, group of statements that you made, but it's, it's, it's really thought-provoking. On that note, let's take our last break. You're listening to Medicine on Call. You're listening to Medicine on Call, where healthcare, business, and current events connect. Are you having problems with persistent bad breath, constant throat clearing, hoarseness, a cough that won't go away, a sore throat, or a feeling that something's always stuck in your throat? Why not find out what the problem is so it can be fixed? At Peachtree ENT Center, we believe in taking time to work with our patients as a team to get to the root of the problem. Make an appointment today to see why Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. Call 404-591-9100 or visit us at peachtreeentcenter.com. This is Dr. George from Medicine on Call. Each week I speak about our healthcare system and the problems with it. One of the main problems is the doctor-patient relationship. I've found that patients really crave time, the time to ask their doctor questions, and physicians crave the time to answer those questions in a thorough manner. Towards that end, Peachtree Ear, Nose, and Throat Center is pleased to announce a new video telemedicine service. We now offer consultation for second opinions and for people who'd like to learn more and ask questions about how to navigate the healthcare system in a cost-effective and efficient manner. Go to peachtreeentcenter.video-visits.com to learn more. Welcome back to Medicine on Call. We're speaking with Dr. Felicia Dawson, and you can catch her on our website, drfelicia.com. That's D-O-C-T-O-R-F-E-L-E-C-I-A.com. And she's a LinkedIn page. She's a Twitter, Dr. Felicia Dawson. And tell us a little bit about how people can reach you if they want to consult with you. 
Yeah, just go to the website and under contact, um, there's information about if you're interested in educational consultation, I can talk about uh, holistic gynecology or medical cannabis, either one. Just fill out the, the forms on the website and, and it talks about payment and all that and, you know, just reach me through my website and you can do that. I, I think people should actually do it for second opinions, if nothing else, because I'm seeing so many people, Felicia, that come in and the medical care that they're getting now, it's just so bad. I can't even begin to tell you. And I find that people are coming to see me because, one, I'm going to spend time with them and I'm going to work through the problem with them. And this is what you're doing now. There's nothing, you know, no one's, nothing's taking your attention from the person that's doing the consult with you. And I think people should use you as a resource, frankly. I know people have people with cancer, family members with all these medical conditions. And if honestly, if you have a question about whether your loved one should be on a medication or if they're having some sort of effect or it's not working, I think Dr. Dawson is someone everybody needs to contact, frankly, so that you can figure out if this is for you. Because you're talking about actually treating the problem and having the person become productive a productive member of society again, not being on the outside looking in, not being, you know, homebound or pain ridden. I just, to me, it's like a second lease on life of what you're describing. Yeah, that, that's how a lot of people feel. It's like, it's just, wow, I didn't know I could feel this thing, yeah. you know. And, and I don't mean that in the highway. I mean, no. I, I, did, I didn't know I could be without pain. Wow, I didn't know I could actually feel happy. Uh, I, wow, I, I, I didn't know I could sleep and not be anxious you know it's mm-hmm. like wow I, I just didn't know it could be like this without a bunch of side effects but if you know if 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 your listening audience doesn't want to jump out there with that investment that they may need to make to 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 chat with me i am having an event on april 20th uh at 1 p.m in um in southwest atlanta it's i'm bringing a film here called mary jane's the women of weed and it's it, it highlights some of the female entrepreneurs who are building businesses in the cannabis space, but it also, more importantly, is an excellent primer on medical cannabis. So if you've wanted to know more about medical cannabis, this film is for you. We're going to start with an hour reception with complimentary uh, wine and hors d'oeuvres that are gluten-free and vegan, and then the film will start at about 2 p.m. It's 85 minutes long. And that film will be followed by a panel discussion with myself and several female um, cannabis entrepreneurs. One is uh, Dr. Kyra Isaac, who's uh, very knowledgeable about cannabis compliance for those who are thinking about even starting a business. I have Cass Odom, who is a legislative genius regarding cannabis legislation across the country. Uh, she spent t- time in Denver as well as Georgia and has work with multiple groups, uh, including Minorities for Medical Marijuana and Reform Georgia. Uh, there's Nicole Dillard, who is, um, has a podcast, a local podcast here, uh, Sativa Sisters, and she also has clo- a clothing line um, of the same name. So it's going to be a really cool panel for people who want to learn more about medical cannabis, number one. Number two, for those, because the second most common question I get besides medical questions is, what cannabis company should I invest in? Well, that's like the <laughs> second question I get. So, you know, if you're going to invest in any industry, it's very important to learn about the industry and, you know, and see what all things are, are happening there so you can better make a better informed um, decision. 
Oh, I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, you're, you've just highlighted it. It's not all the same, and the quality is not all the same. And I went to um, the website, that the Institute for Functional Medicine, and they should go there, and they'll be able to read more about you as well. But there's a blog, and they talk about non-GMO, you know, uh, cannabis versus, you know, I, I didn't really realize that you have a different, like you would with any um, anything that's grown, there's different quality, and you don't want pesticides in there, and you don't want someone doing exactly. it. Yeah, I mean, imagine taking a pesticide into something that's supposed to be medicinal, and that's uh-huh. like <laughs> taking one step forward and ten back. And so it, right. is there a website that you'd recommend besides this one? I mean, the functional medicine I thought was excellent, but where can people go to kind of figure out what companies do specialize in GMO-free and organic and just high-quality products? Well, I I, I, I kind of hesitate to say, but I mean, I I, 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 I haven't been to Leafly in a while, but I know that they are was they were a company that listed different dispensaries. Um, but I'm not sure if they go into. You probably go to the individual companies' websites to see do they have third-party testing. Okay. Um, that's 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 what's important. You know, and is there and still you have to be careful, but you know. You want a company that has independent third-party testing of their products, and you want them to list on there, you know, how much THC, how much CBD, any has it been checked for, um, you know, parasites, microorganisms, mm-hmm. molds, um, heavy metals, uh, pesticides, all of that. Yeah, that's key. The last thing you want to do is put that in your system and screw it up. I mean, we do enough with that with the with the prescription drugs. Right. I mean, that's why it's so important to, to legalize cannabis so you can, you know, bring people out of the black market into the legal market where there's some testing because mm-hmm. you don't know what you're getting on the black market. And unfortunately, that's what Georgians are having to deal with, you know, because mm-hmm. it's not legal here. Well, I'm, I'm, I just want to thank you for all the work you do because you're on the forefront of helping everybody in the state. And quite frankly, as each state becomes enlightened, it's going to be easier for the other states to follow suit and hopefully – We'll have a, enough people who get it and who'll put pressure on this pharmaceutical, um, you know, monopoly. And the doctors mm-hmm. and ourselves, we will actually start to think outside the box instead of giving someone post-op pain medication with an opioid. You might choose something else that's going to be more effective and less likely and actually work, quite frankly. Um, in the minute that we have left, how can people reach you again and how, tell them about your conference? Um, again, um drfelicia.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-F-E-L-E-C-I-A dot com. If you just want to email me, just fill out the contact form. It comes right to my email. And if you want to do a consultation, go to the contact uh, block, and they'll tell you how to do that. Um, if you want to come out to this April 20th event, go on Eventbrite and look for the April 20 Mary Jane's, the Women of Week event, and you can get your ticket there. Felicia, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was really just a great lesson for me, an eye-opening experience. And I know my listeners have learned a lot, and I hope you come back. I'd love to talk with you further about the functional medicine and, and how we can stay healthy, just our choices, what medicines, what food we need to eat, you know, so we can actually stay out of the doctor's office, frankly. <laughs> mm-hmm. My pleasure. I, I thank you so much, uh, Elena, for the opportunity to be here. I, I love, I love talking with you.
Oh, it's a pleasure. Have a wonderful day. And listeners, you can catch me on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and please um, subscribe and catch me on DrElanaGeorge.com with my blogs. Have a great week. Revolutionary Talk for Revolutionary Times. Liberty Talk FM.